Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. God has something really, really good for you today. And then we have just a sweet testimony of God's faithfulness and how people matched up with God's expectation that Michelle's going to give at the end of this talk. And I just know that today you're going to be blessed. You're going to be challenged. You're going to be inspired. And, uh, and I just am believing that God has something for you today specifically, not just as us in some watered-down sense, but for you personally. This past week, Marla and I got away for our anniversary. Last Sunday was our anniversary. And so we got out of town as soon as the service was over and we just went through, drive through, ate something out of a bag, and we took off and went south to go see our kids and go see the mountains. And we had a great time, and seeing our, our granddaughter was amazing. Uh, I love being a grandpa. Anyone else just love being a grandpa? It's just an amazing thing. Um, a grand, well, okay, grandmas too, sorry. Sorry. I don't know how it is to be a grandma, but I know how it is to be a grandpa, so... But it's, it's great and just the blessing of family. And so we enjoyed a lot of times with, with our kids, obviously, and, and just a, a sweet Thanksgiving meal slash Christmas meal because we won't be there for either. And so in, in the midst of, of their house, they live on a 30-acre farm, and they've got goats, and they've got cows out front, and it's a totally different lifestyle than what Marla and I have, but it's amazing, and, the, and they're killing it. They're, they're just doing such a great job. Uh, I remember I was staring after some Marley time. I think she was taking a nap or something. I'm sitting on, on their couch. They have no, there's like no internet and there's no Wi-Fi at their house. And it is, there's no cell signal that you can get if you're a Verizon user there either. So it's like there's a lot of family time and not distracted time, which is great in its own way. And, uh, but yet I, I remember, I think, again, I think Marley was taking a nap and couldn't use the phone. So I just kind of looked out the window at the, at the front of their house, and they have pasture all behind their house in a, in a beautiful pond, but the pasture curves all the way around, and that's where the goats just have free run to basically roam uh, out, out back, and, and yet it curves to the front of the house too, and I remember looking out the front window, and they have this, they have a dog, it's a herding dog, it's a great Pyrenees, a uh, beautiful dog, just super friendly, and and, and I just looked out there at that dog, and it was just such an interesting thing because I'm, I'm, the dog's named Zulu. Zulu is just standing there at the fence just mining the, the goats that are in, the, in their pasture. It's just like there, just attentive, just like on point, ready for anything that may happen. Our, our kids were telling us some story. Apparently, there's like a, a, a large cat that is somewhere in the area, and oftentimes it stirs up all of the, the neighboring animals in the farm, and it just becomes, you know, just like a, a howling effect of all the dogs. And they were telling us that, that Zulu, the dog, the, the Great Pyrenees, will, in those times where there's threat, that, that Zulu will basically herd all of the goats into a circle, and then Zulu basically just stands there, stands post, guarding those goats from whatever it is that they that they, you know, that may be against them. And I thought, wow, that is such a great picture. Like, Zulu is, is just this really cute dog that just does what it was meant to do. It, it was just, it just knows the fact that it is a herding dog. So what does it do? It just herds. As a matter of fact, you, my kids were telling us, they said, yeah, actually, when there's people out in the pasture, it'll herd them too. So it's like, no, you need to move along now, move along. It'll herd people and, you know, and, 
the animals too, but it's just such a great picture, I think, of what we're going to talk about today because Zulu is a herding dog and just does what it's supposed to do, and it just does it because it was made that way. For us as the people of God, of course, we're not, we're not dogs and we're not animals, and yet if we are followers of Jesus Christ, there should be a part inside of us that is just instinctual that we will want to obey and follow God no matter what. That, that it just becomes instinct for us, that it, there's not a delay, there's not a partial bit of obedience, but yet we just jump in and say, God, I'll do the thing that you're telling me to do because after all, I'm a follower of Jesus and if you're leading me to do something, I have to give you my yes. I want to begin this morning with a, a story that I read. Um, I was inspired by this story and I believe it's a true story. Her name is her name was Betty, and Betty was a woman who, for much of her life, she didn't walk with the Lord, but then later in life, she committed her life to Jesus, she became born again, and then as her life progressed on, she lives alone, and she lives on a fixed income, but yet she's following Jesus, and it was said of Betty that even though that she was a person who was a person of poverty, that she was one who was very generous with the things that she had, and she actually helped people who were more poor than she is, or that she was, excuse me. And that even when she couldn't actually meet a physical need, that she collected little bits of money from other people, and she wanted to be the one to help others. So she would ask other people who did have means to gather together to help people. And it was said of Betty that she would just, she would just come and go as, as the Lord led. And, and that much of her life was just directed, after she committed her life to Jesus, it was just directed in a way of, of just following Jesus, almost in this faith-filled adventure. Almost in some ways unpredictable, because just following what it is that God wanted her to do. As her life then was nearing a close, she got ill and she was bedridden. Her pastor went to see her and asked her if it was hard for her in, in this stage of life because she was so used to going and, and helping people and, and collecting money for, to meet needs and, and to do all those things. And the pastor asked her, is it hard now that you're in this situation? Is this a hard burden for you to bear to now be bedridden and not be able to go out? And she said this, and I quote, no, sir, not at all. When I was well, I used to hear the Lord say day by day, Betty, go here. Betty, go there. Betty, do this. Betty, do that. And I used to do it as well as I could, Betty said. And now I hear him say every day, Betty, lie still. Betty, lie still. You see, I think in, in many ways, looking at the life of Betty, that's the life that I want. It's, and it's the life that I want for you. It's a life of, of obedience, and it's one where... Betty had given her life to Jesus, and a life committed to God and connected to God should be filled with obedience. Because obedience is this. If it's anything else, obedience is the expected outcome of a life connected to God. Obedience is the expected outcome of a life connected to God. This is God's expectation for you if you're a follower of Jesus. It's not for us to just occupy this room and to be happy and to, and to hug necks and do all and have the banquet. All those things are great. But what God wants for us is actually bigger than this. It's a life of obedience. And that is 
That should be, and that is the expected outcome of a life connected with God, a life connected to God. We see this throughout the Bible, and what we also can see throughout the Bible is this. God leads us, his kingdom people, with vision and his voice. God leads his kingdom people, remember that series? What it means to be a kingdom person? God leads kingdom people, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, with his voice and a vision. A verse that I shared in the Kingdom People series is this. This is one of vision in the way that God leads us, one of which makes us filled with hope, one, one that inspires me and hopefully inspires you to continue this, this race, this faith-filled race that we have called the Christian life. This is what it said in Jeremiah 29 in the passage that I preached from weeks ago. God said to Jeremiah, to the people of God and to us here today, he says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. You see, God leads us by vision. Vision meaning that we know the ultimate outcome, that no matter what goes on in this life, we know the ultimate outcome at the end of these days is one filled with hope. And it's a vision of being connected with God, but also voice. Voice, I was reminded of this passage in James 2. I'm going to fly through it, and then we're going to get to our main passage that we're going to dig into today. But I was thinking about how God leads us not just with a vision. He leads us with, because obedience is the expected outcome of a life connected with God, so he leads us with vision, but also his voice. And that voice means that faith and works are together. James 2, 20 and 22 says this, You foolish man, do you, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. His faith was made complete by what he did. That his faith and his actions were working together together because faith isn't some abstract thing that we just believe and that it has no no governing control over us what it is that we put our faith in ultimately is the one is when we put our faith in Jesus Christ not only to save our soul but also recognizing that he is the lord of our life and if he's the lord the govern if he's the king of our life that means that we need to faithfully obey the things that he wants us to obey in even if it's difficult like we see in today's passage. If you have your Bible, I, I invite you to open up to Hebrews eleven seven. We're going to just look at this snapshot of Noah. And we're going to look at one verse, and we're going to draw out three other principles from this one verse. But this verse has so much in it. And, and I don't have time to, to bring about all of the story of Noah. It's actually chapters in the Bible telling the story of Noah and, and what happened and the rainbow and the rescue and... And, and, and all of the things that happened. So I'm going to share some of those, but I will not be able to tell you all of them. It's a beautiful story. Go into Genesis, and early, early in Genesis, Genesis 6 through 8, and you could see this all for yourself and see how it all unfolds. But the reason why we're going into Hebrews is this, because I believe that there's someone in this room, perhaps listening from somewhere else, but I believe there's somebody who's listening to this message 
and they're wanting to know what real faith looks like. They really want to know what, what, it, what does it really look like? Is it just attending church? Is it just doing the things? Is it, is it just giving? What, what does real faith look like? And any time that you have that question, what does real faith look like? One of the best places that we can go is into Hebrews 11, because you see what real faith looks like. And Hebrews 11 is, is known as the, is the hall of faith. These people were commended because of their faith. So when we don't know what faith looks like, we, we can go into places like Hebrews 11, and we can dig out these stories, these true stories, of people who were commended by their faith. And we can look at what they did and how their faith and their actions lined up And then we can see what it is that we're supposed to do and why faith matters in our lives today. Hebrews 11, 7, just drawing out one of these, and there's so many different names, and most of them begin with by faith, and then there's a name, and then what they did, and that's where we start here with Noah. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, he built an altar to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So by faith, Noah. So this is an important piece because you see that it isn't by flesh. It isn't by desire. It isn't by personal ambition. It isn't by, by, by any other means but by faith. He's operating by faith. And, and as we dig into at least a little bit of Noah's story, we're going to see what he did and how he did it. But more importantly, to be inspired by the type of man that he was. In Genesis 6, 9 and 10, it says this of Noah. It says that Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And he walked with God, is what it says. That he walked with God. This is his identity. This is who he is as a man. So make no mistake, when... when, Noah is operating by faith. It's faith in knowing that he's a righteous man. He's right with God. And people who are right with God should seek to live rightly with other people. Noah's the same. He was not perfect, made a lot of mistakes. But in this, he did did well. He was blameless among the people of his time, it says in verse 9. And he walked with God. Noah had three, three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jopheth. So... The next verse, verse 11, says this. Now the earth, notice the transition. Because it says who Noah is, and it builds up this great story that he's a righteous man. He'd been doing right by God, right with people. Okay, he has a family, he has has a wife, and he has three sons with amazing names. Amazingly not American names. Um, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Like, at first glance, if you grew up at the Three Stooges, you're like, is this where they got the names? And they didn't. Shim is just one of them. There's no, no Curly. There's no Curly Joe, and there's no Larry. Yes, I watch the Three Stooges, too. But you see this about Noah, and then the very next verse, it tells a different story about the world around him. Notice what it uh, is in Genesis 6, 11, and 12. It says this, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence that the earth was corrupt and full of violence. So it sets this picture of Noah, the type of man that he was, and now you see the condition of the earth and the world around him. It says in verse 11, God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. In a very sad thing 
was asked of, of Noah and him operating by faith. And what it talks about in verse 7 is knowing the condition of the world. And you can read all of this for yourself. I'm just giving you the high points or low points, however you look at it. But the condition of the world was terrible. And God's remedy for that was destruction, was a great flood, an, an actual flood. I know that there have been many secularists and there's been many quote-unquote theologians to say, no, this is just some literary device or this isn't true. I believe that there was an actual flood. I believe it because the Bible said it. So therefore, I don't have to question it. I don't have to ponder if it's true. The Bible says that it's true. It leads me by faith to know that it is true. So when I read stories like this, I embrace the truth. Amen? So there was a flood that was brought onto the earth. What Noah was called upon to do was to build an ark. He was called to build this ark before the waters even came. He was called to build the ark before the rain came and before the floods and before the springs boiled up water. Before any of the flood of the earth had happened, he was told to build an ark. He was told to build an ark and of which his own family didn't understand what he was doing. And the people around him didn't know what he was doing. He, in doing so, and by living by faith and doing what was right by God, faced ridicule and mocking of other people around them. They're looking at him. And I can just imagine the terrible things they said to him because why are you building this boat? They had no need for a boat. They didn't even know what a boat was. And now you have this ark and just immense. The size of this is immense. And yet he's building it on dry ground, believing that what God said was true. Believing what God said was true. So when we look at verse 7, by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in other words, operating by faith, he hadn't seen rain yet, he hadn't seen the flood yet, he hadn't seen the water from the springs boil up yet. What we know is this, one of the three takeaways this morning is obedience stems from acceptance of God's word. Obedience stems from acceptance of God's word. Noah had received a message from God, from the mouth of God, from the voice of God, telling him to do this unthinkable thing to other people, to build a boat, to build this ark. That he would be the one who would actually rescue humanity, although much of humanity, most of humanity would be lost because of the flood that would come, but his family would be rescued, and he who would be rescued in, in a lot of ways, and this troubles me. This, I don't say this. I know that it happened, but it, but it still troubles me, the fact that God had to get to this extent to basically wipe away most of humanity to restore humanity through the family of Noah. I don't say this with any sense of pride to think, wow, I have this figured out. There's a lot of mystery here. But yet, even in what I am challenged to think and believe and to, to take to heart, I know that it happened because the Word of God says so. Just imagine how God's message to Noah had to felt like foolishness to other people at the same time. But yet, he is wanting to honor God, and he just obeys God because he hears this message from the mouth of God. That obedience, even in the, in the face of, 
of what people may think is foolishness, even in the midst of, of the mocking, and even in the midst of being alienated from other people, he walks out by faith and he does the thing that God wants him to do. Because he's a man who's trying to live right with God. But obedience is expected of, is the expected outcome of a life connected with God. So why are we surprised when we see stories like this? Another passage of scripture comes to mind. You can go to the right in your Bible and to Matthew 7. I'll give you a moment to get there. This idea of, of the type of life that is, is one of obedience and acceptance to God's word. Jesus had some things to say about this. In Matthew 7, verse 24, Jesus said this about the type of life. Um, that I believe that you want. If you're here and you're curious and you're, you're a follower of Jesus, I believe there's, there's a part of you, spiritually, there's a part of you that wants this to be true in your life. Notice what Jesus says in verse 24. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man to build his house on sand. The rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash, Jesus says. So he's talking about a life that is founded upon God, the foundation being God, and God's voice and God's word, and living in obedience to God's word. Notice that Jesus, he, he says in a parallel, since two different types of lives, there's, there's the type of lives who, who, who hear the right things and they do the right things and their life is founded, it's like on rocks. So no matter what goes on and, and the, the ebbs and flows of life and the highs and lows of life, no matter what goes on, that life, that, that faith-filled life can stay intact and can be vibrant, doing the right thing, being encouraged, living in the fruit of the Spirit because that person has a life that's connected to God and they are on, as on the solid rock. And yet the other type of person is, is a life that maybe is loosely connected with God or maybe not growing in their faith at all and maybe they've settled for some lesser things. And yet when they hear God's Word, what they do is they hear it, it goes, it goes in one ear and then out the other and they don't do it. And Jesus says, not my words, Jesus said in Matthew 7, he says, that life is like one that is built upon sand. So that when the winds blow or hard times come or you have that family struggle or your, your marriage is struggling and you get to that place of indifference in your marriage, a life that's built upon sand will not know what to do, and that type of life implodes because it has no foundation. See, building's an interesting thing. We don't really, we don't always know what it is that God is doing when God is asking us to do something. We don't always know what God's doing in us. I'll give you an illustration, albeit kind of a silly one. Several years ago, prior to being in full-time ministry, I may have been a deacon at the time, I don't know. Joe, my father-in-law, had, had a rental house, and he had asked a bunch of people to come and hang trusses 
which means it's a great time. If you've ever done that, you know that it's a blast, said your pastor sarcastically. It's not so much fun. And uh, I had never done it. And so, but I was up there, had a brand new tool belt, of which he reminds me of this all the time. And uh, he, he just having fun. And so we were up there and there was a bunch of us who were hanging trusses and one by one, the trusses are being nailed in. They weren't all tied together. And there's, there's a whole thing. I'd never done this before. I hadn't really been trained in anything of construction or framing a house at all growing up. So I had to learn a lot of these things as an adult. On this particular day, some of the trusses were in place and I was able to walk some of the trusses. And then not knowing exactly what to do, I stepped off of the truss and then was walking on the wall because we had just taken the roof off of the existing house. I was walking on the wall and then didn't realize that the wall ended and then it was just the ceiling there. So then, of then going off the trusses, walked off the wall and then fell right through the wall or the ceiling of the house. And of course, there's a bunch of people around. So you can imagine how much fun the guys had with me on this given day with my brand new tool belt, probably a brand new hammer, like all the stereotypes, uh, and it's all true. And, you know, I mean, at least on that day when I fell and I had some aches and pains, I had scratched my cheeks, so I had some blood coming down, so I looked tough. You know, I mean, at least I had that going for me. And so I, I'd literally fallen through there, and I caught myself in between the trusses with my arms, and, and it was like, it was a pretty freaky thing, honestly, because I looked down and there was just a bunch of debris there because from the uh, destruction and of, of just taking things down. Yeah, God spared me on that day. But, you know, I had no idea how to build anything on that day. No, like I really didn't. I was like, what am I supposed to do? You want me to move this? I'll move this. I'll do this, do this. Had to be told how to do everything. A couple years later, um, actually, my daughter, who's here today, uh, I built a clubhouse for her. And because I had learned some things starting on that day that I felt if I'd fallen through the, the ceiling, I learned some things. Then I actually built trusses for her clubhouse. But I had to start with the basis of just doing something to get to the point where I was able to do, uh, to do it myself and to learn some things. I think oftentimes in life what we, we start to think is, we don't necessarily know what God's doing in us. Instead, we just think about all the things that God wants us to do, and we can get exhausted thinking we have to do all these things. And what we miss is the best building project that God has is for us. And it's in us. And it's through us. And yet God takes us from, from us not knowing how to do much or to knowing what to do, but yet God leads us by voice and vision, so then we actually have, we become the type of people that obedience becomes easy. I'll summarize it in this way. You see, when, when faith and works comes together, you start to realize that that best building project, it is you, and that with God, you're building a beautiful life together. That with God, you are building a beautiful life together. When faith and works go together, it's God in you building a beautiful faith and a beautiful life together. 
it isn't us just going out and just doing a bunch of things. It's instead realizing that when God asks us to do something, our heart becomes softened to Him, so then it's easier to obey the next thing, and then our life becomes more beautiful the easier that obedience becomes. Over my pastoral experience, I can tell you I've seen a lot of lives, and I've seen a lot of marriages, and I've seen a lot of, of kids, and I've seen a lot of adults go off the rails, become people they never thought that they would become. But I believe it really begins at this point. Are they obeying God? When God speaks, are they the type of people who listen? See, with Noah, when God spoke, when God spoke, he listened, he obeyed. The verse says in Hebrews eleven seven, by faith Noah, when warned about the things not yet seen, hadn't seen the water, the springs, hadn't seen any of that, in holy fear or respect, reverence, he built an ark to save his family, and by his faith he was, con- he, by his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. You see, when God speaks, you you can put this into the first person. I win approval with obedience. I win God's approval with obedience. When God speaks, I win God's approval with obedience. If you want to be blessed by God, say yes to God. If you want your life, to, if you want your marriage to be blessed by God, have your marriage that's built upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ. If you want to live a blessed and fruitful life, if you want to be a blessed and fruitful mentor or parent or grandparent, It's not more of you, it's more of Jesus and become the type of person that is approved by God because you obey God. Become the type of person that that when God speaks, know that you win God's approval because you've obeyed. You've done the thing that he's asked you to do. You didn't wrestle with God, you just did it because he said so. Noah, even in the midst of all the mockery and all the the pressure from the outside, the pressure to disobey God, he gathers all the resources to build the ark. Knowing there's something coming that nobody else even knows about. But he obeys God. Even when people don't understand, he obeys God in the way that, that he needs to in that moment. I can't imagine how hard that would be to have that as my reality. But when God speaks, just say that. I win God's approval with obedience. Say that out loud, you, right now. I win God's approval with obedience. The more you say that and the more that you believe that, the deeper that's going to sink into you and it's going to be easier for you to accept God at his word. It's going to be easier to accept the vision and voice of God that leads and directs you in the, in the course of your life and you'll be the type of person who lives approved by God. Genesis 7, 1 through 5 gives the, the directive. It's in the left in your Bible all the way to the beginning of the Bible And you see how all this plays out. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I just want to just give you a snapshot, maybe just 
you know, put a little dap of water on your tongue so you get thirsty for the word and you go read the rest of this yourself. This is what it says in Genesis 7, 1 through 5. See how Noah obeyed God and what happened. Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven of every kind of clean animal, a, a, a male and its mate, and two of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate. And also seven of every kind of bird, male or female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded. Noah did all that the Lord had commanded. Wouldn't it be amazing to be able to just... Although there are all the other voices going on in the world, that you hear God's voice more than all those other voices and that you become the type of person that it's easier to obey God than it is to disobey God. Elizabeth Elliot said this, prolific writer, amazing testimony of faithfulness. Years as a missionary. Her husband, Jim, was a martyr bringing the gospel to a faraway land, I believe in Ecuador. Just, just an amazing testimony. She continued to write after Jim had gone to be with Jesus. And she said this about disobedience. She says, what many people call struggling is just disobedience. Well, I'm struggling. You know, it's just my life's a struggle. I've just been in a struggling season. I've just been battling this and been battling that. And what she's getting at here is that many people just use the word struggling to give them a pass as to why they're not obeying God in the first place. I remember when our kids were, were little, and if you've raised kids, you know how this goes, and if you're a grandparent, you've probably seen this too. You know, your kids make a mess. Maybe you tell them to go clean their room. And, and all of a sudden, as soon as you tell your kids to go clean their room, they become paralyzed. Their arms don't work anymore. They're like, their back's hunched over. Their feet are in quicksand. Like, they don't even know what to do. It's like, go clean your room. But if you just said, go outside and play, that'd have been gone, right? That'd have been just in a moment. But yet, and what they're doing is, what are they doing? They're, they're oh, I'm in quicksand. I, I, I don't know if I can do it. They're delaying that, dis, or they're delaying that obedience. For you and I, when it comes to our walk with God, delayed obedience is still disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. Sluggish obedience is still disobedience. Surface obedience is still disobedience. It's not struggling. It's just, it's just disobedience. God gives instructions to obey, not instructions to consider. God gives us, and I realize how kind of forceful that is, but it's just true. This, this, isn't, this is God's word to lead and direct our lives. It's not just helpful tips, you know, five good ways to live a better life. God gives instructions to obey, 
when he leads us with vision and voice, they're just not instructions to consider. But like, well, I'll get around to it whenever I feel like it. It's to obey and not to delay. I'm also convinced of this. God is not really concerned about convenience. He's concerned about our obedience. I'll end with this. Again, just a, a thing for you to personally claim, and this is absolutely true. You can say this, the last takeaway this morning. When I obey, I witness God's power. When I obey, I witness God's power. Noah obeyed God. He built the ark. He brought the animals in. He brought his family in. And God brought his power. God brought the rain, 40 days and 40 nights. He brought the rain. He brought the water. He brought his power. When I was looking at this this week, I was reminded of, of another verse that talks about power. In Acts 1, there were some people who were asking Jesus about certain events that he had prophesied about. He said that things were going to happen, and they were asking him these questions. And Jesus said this, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, but you will receive power. We, we receive power from God when we faithfully obey God. We receive power from God. Holy Spirit power from God to, to live the life that is of one of willful obedience, not delayed obedience, one, of, one that is accepting of God's word, the person who, who then has the first inclination of their heart to always say yes to God. That power. It's interesting, that, that word, that Greek word, is the Greek word dunamis, which is also where the, we get the word dynamite. The power. You want to live a life that pleases God, that it's accepted by God, faithfully obey God. Live by faith. Be the type of person that easily obeys what God wants to do in your life. Because after all, obedience is the expected outcome of a life connected to God. We have a great example of that. And Michelle, I'd like to invite you to come forward and share a testimony about what this really looks like. One of our missionaries, we've, we've been and, and done a lot. You can come up and I, I think that microphone is the one you're gonna get and we'll try and turn it on for you. It's on? You're awesome. Thank you, Paula. But I thought today would be a great opportunity to, to talk about what it means to have a testimony of faithfulness. You and Greg, here in this church, how many years ago? A couple? Two, three? Twenty? Twenty-ish? <laughs> um, Thirty-five. There you go. Um, 
And, and that's just an amazing thing when you say yes to Jesus, but yet it's faithfully obeying. So please share a testimony of what that looks like, what it did look like in your life. And, and you can't give us a synopsis of 35 years, but because we know some of it. But uh, please share uh, what it really looks like as, uh, as we invite her up to come and give a testimony. Please give her a round of applause. It's on? Okay. But usually when you hear the pastor say, and I'm going to finish with this, everybody goes, oh, but as soon as I heard those words, I was like, ooh. <laughs> it's a little bit different when you have to stand up here. Um, I first of all just want to say thank you. Um, thank you to Calvary. Calvary's our sending church, um, our supporting church, and Calvary's been so faithful to us, to our family, for 35 years. Um, and so I just wanted to try to give a, a synopsis of, of what God has done. And you'll hear me say, I and we, but I acknowledge that none of this is possible without God, without his power, without his righteousness and his strength in us. So, um, and not that we've achieved any greatness. Again, missionaries, we're just sinners saved by grace. We were sitting in those pews 35 years ago, listening to the gospel, listening to the word be preached by faithful men, and God used his word to speak to our heart and to change our lives. And so that's always my prayer for everybody that sits under the teaching of the word is that their hearts will be open and allow God to speak to them and move them through faith in obedience. Um, so this is nothing great that, oh, I'm such an obedient person. Um, I have not yet achieved that. And all those struggles, I'm saying to myself, oh yeah, I was partially obedient and I know the outcome and I've been completely disobedient and I know the outcome, so been there, done that, <laughs> and still failing every day. But God is so faithful. Um, so just to give you a brief overview, because some of you don't know who I am, you don't know our family, um, but I was, I was just a nominal Catholic girl. I met a guy and then we started dating. He invited me to come to church, to this church. And I was like, hmm, okay, nothing else to do. So, uh, <laughs> so that was in 86. So I come to the church, and it was so amazing that people were, they were friendly, they were loving, they were inviting. And if, if you were here 35 years ago, you know we sat right here. Every Sunday, we sat right there. And... Um, took about nine months, 10 months that I would come and I would come. And, and my husband at that time was dating. He'd say, oh, you know, you got to get saved. He's like, you need Jesus or you're going to go to hell and I'm going to heaven. And I want you to go with me. And I was like, I believe all that. I don't have to worry about that. So I would come and I would come. And my heart would be like, I believe all that. So that's enough. Well, about 10 months into it, I finally realized that just believing wasn't enough. I had to accept it. I had to allow God into my heart and change, change my life. So that pride was, was just swelling up in me time and time again, and eventually my heart softened. So I was saved in 87, and at that time, my husband, uh, I didn't know till later, was about ready to stop dating me because I wasn't saved. And so the day I got saved, I remember calling him on the phone. I was in the office there, and I said, oh, guess what? I said, I got saved. I said, and it's not because of you. <laughs> 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 
Because the last thing I wanted him to think was that I got saved just to please him. But I'd come to the realization that I, I needed Christ as a savior. I needed him for me personally, not to please anyone else. And I will tell you, that cost me relationships. Somebody very dear and close to me and my family shunned me for a year. In my own house, I was shunned for a year because I got saved. And so, but I knew in my heart, I knew that was the right thing because that was me. It was my relationship. It was my future. It was my hope and my joy and my peace. So it was difficult, but I pushed through. And the end of the story is, it's all okay now. They finally understand. Um, but then the next year, so I was saved in 87. We got married in 88. And we got so busy. Once I got saved, we were serving everywhere. We were youth counselors. We were cleaning the church. We were in the choir. And if you have sit around me, you'll know I was not supposed to be in the choir. <laughs> I love to sing. And I can sit up there and I can, look, I can look good with the best of them, but I can't sing. But we were busy. We were serving and serving and serving. And our lives were just in turmoil. Greg would, had uh, changed jobs and he was miserable. I had a job, I got laid off and was retrenched, and, and we thought, what in the world? We are doing everything. I mean, we were, we were just doing everything. So busy, sacrificing our spare time, doing this. And then there was a day that a missionary came, and he was a guy to Africa. And all I remember from this, uh, this missionary was, he rolled out that big snakeskin right down the middle. <laughs> And at the end of that, because I'd only been saved for like a year, I really didn't know, I didn't know much about missions. That was probably my first missions conference. And I thought, oh, those people need Jesus. I can do that. And of course, I didn't know what to do with that. So I just sat there month after month, and then things got rocky. And then finally, it just kept working on me. I'm like, those people in Kenya. So finally, one day, I said to Greg, I said, what do you think about going to Kenya? And he looked at me. And he was like, this is crazy because God had been working on his heart and he was being disobedient. God was working on my heart, but at the time, I didn't know I was being disobedient. I was so new to the faith and, and to missions and stuff. So, so we could see the effects of being disobedient. Although we were sacrificing, we were serving, things weren't what God had called us to do. And so I think of that verse that obedience is better than sacrifice. Because sacrifice can lead us to pride. We can be prideful about, oh, I'm doing this, 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 this. But if we're not doing what God has called us, we're not going to be at peace. We're not going to have contentment. doesn't mean things will be easy. I totally agree with many people call struggling um, that it's just disobedience. So I agree with that. And then also, um, just because we are being obedient doesn't mean that life is going to be easy but we can still have peace and contentment and joy that, that is renewed in mercies each and every day. Um, so in 89, when that missionary came, we finally surrendered to the call because my disobedient husband decided to be obedient. And he went to the pastor and he said, no, no, you got to go get trained. So we spent nine years of training at Baptist Bible College. And I just want to say through it all, Calvary, was so faithful. They were, they were so gracious to us, and they, they helped us to get through school, and they were just such a great support. And to me, that was obedience to God. 
to take care of people, not that it was us, but to take care of people who want to uh, do missions, who want to spread the gospel. And just a note there, everybody is supposed to be spreading the gospel. Everybody is supposed to be doing their part to go in and telling people, to giving to the cause so that others can hear about Christ to the uttermost parts of the, of the world. Um, so yeah, now April 2022 was 20 years that we've been in Kenya. I kind of don't feel old enough. <laughs> that April of 2002, we uh, loaded up our house in a container. We had four little girls. We got on a plane and went to Kenya, and the rest is history. We've had two years into it, some of you will know, the great had a bad motorcycle accident. Um, we'd only been there two years. Here I am with four little girls. My husband's been in an accident. He's bedridden and had to be flown home um, on a private, or not a private, but a, a medical evac. So I had to traipse from there to here with four little girls. But God was so gracious. Even though it was difficult, he worked everything out. Everything we needed had been supplied, and he was faithful. It wasn't easy, but I remember from the day that that happened, that verse always stuck in my mind, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. And it's true. And I claim that verse when things get hard and they get difficult. I claim that because I know God is faithful. And I know when we are being obedient, he will see us through. Now, when we're being disobedient, he'll still see us through, but he'll allow us to think about and ponder uh, the things that, we are, that we're doing, the choices that we're making. So... I just want to say, again, thank you. Calvary's been steadfast. You've been a light in a dark community. And um, not that the people are, but you know what I'm saying. Um, and we thank you for your support because we're able to go over there and to be a light in the dark world around us. And we wouldn't be able to do it without you. But I most of all just thank God and his faithfulness. And his word is so true. If we know his word and we do his word, he is faithful, and he will see us through. And so, again, um, the end of my story is, is not yet complete, but um, don't know when we're ever going to come back. Uh, my husband never wants to leave the field. Uh, we've had some issues and challenges with family and health issues, so I've been very privileged to be able to come back for short for short things. Um, one of my challenges, I'll just say, because people say, what are your challenges? My challenges is I'm over there ministering to people when I have family here that need ministered to. So that's a big challenge for your missionaries all over. Um, and so keep your missionaries in prayer and pray that they can remain obedient. Just because you're on a foreign field doesn't mean you're more obedient than anybody else. We can fall into disobedience just as easily as anybody else. Um, but pray for your missionaries and um, keep, keep giving what you can give. They're depending on you. They're trusting for your prayer support, which is so important. And also to come back and to see everybody that's faithful, that is such an encouragement. Because I know some of you have been here from the early walk in our faith. And, and I'd love to come back and see that you're still faithfully obeying God Sunday after Sunday, event after event, and, you know, those rewards are eternal. And that's what it's all about. It's not for here and now, 
but those things are an eternal. So God bless you, and thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Michelle.